Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. Well, God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Welcome to another edition of the Q Podcast. I'm Gabe Lyons, and today we're jumping into a topic that's often discussed, but usually in private, and that's because it's one that brings up a lot of shame. It brings up a lot of questions for people and, and doubts, and, and the idea is pornography, porn. We've got two different talks I want you to hear, one, one by a woman and one by a man, that are addressing what we might do as Christians to think well about what's happening with this essential porn epidemic. You know, there's some states and even nations who are looking at pornography now as a national health epidemic. It's creating such a problem in intimacy and in people being able to relate to one another in all of the different side effects that come from an addiction to porn that they're realizing we're going to have to get serious about this. Now, friends, I, I would say to you, this is where the church should be leading. These are the areas in which we ought to be helping our society understand how do we think about sexuality? How do we think about bodies? What do we think about other human beings? How do we not objectify people? And yet we find in the church, the statistics are almost identical to our cultures. We also realize that many pastors are struggling with porn, youth pastors. And, and when you start to get into some of the data, you realize that this truly is an epidemic. And so we want to address it. And so the way I want to do this today is I want us to hear a couple of different talks from, from two different perspectives. One is from someone who's, who's really been through this at the heart level, at the life level, and it's Audrey Assad, somebody you may know as an incredible songwriter, as a, as a person who's a producer and, and a musician who just sings beautiful music, incredible worship leader. She leads worship for us at Q events uh, many different times. But for this particular talk, she said, I want to get honest about my own struggle with porn. Because for so long, this was only looked at as a problem for men. It's not something we thought a lot about for women. And yet she wants to acknowledge and bring to light that this is something women struggle with too. And it's something in her own journey that she struggled with. And she wants to talk through this and help us understand how real that struggle has been and, and what journey that she's been on. It's going to be a great way for us to just start to think about this, to hear from somebody who's had to walk through this who uh, understands the difficulty of balancing the shame and wanting to be holy and, and writing amazing music, but also understanding that we're all human and there are struggles. And so I want us to just enter into this, to listen to this, and to then come back and then we'll have another follow-up talk where we'll talk a little bit more about what does the science of this look like, how is it starting to affect the human brain, and how can we as Christians start to lead in this area. So let's listen in now on The Porn Epidemic by Audrey Assad. I want you to imagine a girl who grew up being conditioned to be afraid of her own body. At the young age of six, she was reprimanded by an elderly gentleman at a church picnic for wearing knee-length bicycle shorts underneath her giant Lion King t-shirt, told that she was inviting trouble and made to change. Imagine a girl who even by 13 years old 
had never been given the sex talk. Imagine a girl so ashamed of herself, her body, her weakness, that she would pray the sinner's prayer up to a hundred times a night, desperately wishing she could be anyone else and assuming that God wished she were someone else too. Imagine a girl who at 15 poured herself into student leadership at her church and began projecting an increasingly intense religious piety to shield herself from discovery, all the while dealing with a secret pornography addiction. Living this double life, she became so nervous, so anxious that she began to pluck her leg hairs out one by one. She was deeply ashamed of her body, her arousal, her sin, and she felt completely alone. My whole young life, I was instructed that men have pornography problems, not women. So I was a living exception to what I viewed as the rule. You can imagine my surprise when many years later I discovered that I was not, in fact, the only one. The church's silence on this isolated and perpetuated the problem. I found myself trapped and alone in a shame cycle that daily impacted my health, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and it did nothing to free me from my addiction. One night as I surfed through the channels on our old box television with the rabbit ear antenna, I saw something that intrigued and confused me. Leaking through the fuzzy upper channels where I had landed were scenes involving nakedness that aroused and frightened me at the same time. I had no intention of seeking out pornography, but pornography found me when I was 15 years old. Within days, I was compulsively viewing it, often several times in a 24-hour period. Each night, I prayed fervently for deliverance. I cried hot tears of shame, and I hated myself because I could not stop. Unfortunately, the topic of sexuality, perhaps especially pornography, and perhaps most of all as it pertains to women, is stigmatized in many church communities. Sexuality was rarely discussed at my tiny fundamentalist church, much less pornography. And even when we left our small insular church community when I was 13 for a slightly more progressive one, discussing pornography was still very much taboo. One year, my Sunday school teachers announced that we were going to begin a series on pornography addiction, which was considered to be very edgy. And I felt relieved. I thought maybe someone's going to give me something I can, I can use to get out of this. But it was immediately posited and stated that pornography is strictly a male issue, which isolated me immediately. Furthermore, the study laid out a strong correlative relationship between pornography addiction and serial killing. And I connected those dots. I have an anxious personality. So not only did I feel like a freak of nature for being a girl who looked at porn, but I began to worry that my addiction signified something sinister about who I was, something fundamentally broken. And I was terrified. As I looked around me at 16 years old, I came to the very sad conclusion that vulnerability was simply not an option. With each well-intentioned dismissal, my shame increased and so did my isolation both of which contributed to the deepening of my pornography habit. I don't know what your impression is of how many women struggle with porn addiction, although Gabe's numbers gave me a good idea, but the statistics might surprise you. According to Barna Research Group, porn is more accessible than ever before in this digital age, and exposure happens earlier and more often. Barna has found that nearly three-quarters of young adults and half of teenagers come across what they consider to be pornography at least once a month, whether or not they are seeking it out. 
They have also found that usage among women is growing increasingly common. 27% of women 26 and older and 56% of women 25 and younger seek out pornography. Barna has also found that despite the awareness of this problem, most churches do not have programs to assist people struggling with pornography addiction. In fact, about 7% of churches offer such a program, and these numbers just don't add up. Stigmatizing or keeping silent about this issue will not address it, much less fix it. The longer this topic is shrouded in shame and secrecy, even by our churches, the greater the presence of pornography addiction in our pews will become. Out of a well-intentioned desire for holiness and a fear of going too far when it comes to issues related to sexuality comes this undesirable side effect. It perpetuates the growth of shame, which is non-productive as opposed to guilt. Vulnerability researcher and author Brene Brown contrasts guilt and shame this way. Quote, I believe that guilt is adaptive and helpful. It's holding on to something we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. She goes on to say that she defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do has made us unworthy of connection. I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be destructive, the source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or the cure. I think the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous, unquote. When we feel shame about who we are, we may think we are being humble, when in fact shame is what compels us to present a false front of piety or self-sufficiency rather than being open and authentic about our struggles. Our shame says more about who we think God thinks we are than it says about who we really are. Only vulnerability in a safe and honest community has enabled me to find freedom from both my addiction and the shame that crippled me for many years after the dependency had loosened its grip on me. No matter what any of us secretly struggle with, shame is never a way out. It will only drive us deeper into isolation. In all things, but today, most particularly in regards to pornography addiction, I believe we need to form communities that encourage, welcome, and model vulnerability. In that kind of community, I really do believe that truth will set us free. Thank you very much. I just love it when somebody decides they're going to go there. They're going to be honest. They're going to share their own struggle, that God's brought them through something, and now they understand that the wound that they experienced, the process that they went through of healing was not just for them, it was actually for others, it was for the church. And so now we all, you listening now, benefit from somebody who's been honest. And, and let's let's all learn from that. Let's, let's take a, a note on that, that the struggle that you've been through doesn't define who you are. It's not the thing you have to live with under a shame label the rest of your life. But because you've been through it and God's brought you through it, not only is there hope for your life, but there's hope for others' lives if you're willing to help them, if you're willing to share that story. And so I so much appreciate Audrey's willingness to go there. For these next nine minutes, you're going to hear from another dynamic communicator, Jefferson Bethke. You may have heard of Jefferson. He's written several books. He's probably most famously known from a few years ago. He wrote an incredible provocative poem and performed this four-minute video called Why I Hate Religion. 
but love Jesus. Jefferson's very involved in technology and YouTube, and he's very much on Instagram and every everywhere social media is. Jefferson and his wife are very involved in that. And as a man who uses the internet a lot, who's aware of, of the temptations that exist there, we wanted him to speak to how technology is driving some of this. How is porn creating an epidemic? And how, what is it doing to our brains? How is it affecting the way that we think, the way that we see? And so in this next talk, I want you to start to just hear a perspective and, and gain some understanding about how pornography is affecting our souls, how it's affecting our imagination, how it's affecting our mind. And then from there, consider how has this entered your life? Are there some things you need to confess? Is there, is there ways in which you can create structure in your life, in your closest relationships that would prevent you from accessing porn, that would allow you to put some real proper boundaries around so that this isn't happening? But at the deeper level, for us to investigate and go, what is the hole that I'm trying to fill? What is it that is a vacuum inside of me that's driving this kind of behavior. We know many times pornography is just a symptom, but that deep down there's something more going on in our heart and in our soul that would drive us to need that or to want that or to desire that. And that's the question I want us to be left with after we listen to Jefferson Bethke. Let's listen in now. Um, I think I was 11, um, not 12, even though that is the average, when I first saw pornography and by 13, I was fully consuming, watching, and engaging with pornography on a daily or regular basis. It was an addiction that lasted all the way until the middle of college, and I kind of even cringe using that word because during its time in teenage years all the way to college, it didn't feel like that. I, I, I didn't know another teenage boy who didn't watch it or talk about it. Starting to walk with Jesus in college, I had to all of a sudden confront the fact that I wasn't created for this type of distortion of my sexuality. There were monster-like qualities I started seeing in myself that were directly directly related to my use of pornography. I became incredibly selfish. I became incredibly fast-tempered. My view of women was terrible. That played itself out in teenage and high school relationships. Pornography, and this is something we don't usually deal with, pornography actually changed me, just like any other narcotic drug or addiction does. And even though porn has been around for a while... It's accessible beyond degree, and it's unbelievable. We all carry in our pockets a little rectangular glowing screen, hopefully an iPhone, amen, that gives access to a limitless world as long as we have Wi-Fi. I'm part of the first generation that's native to the Internet age, meaning I don't remember a time before the Internet. I was two when AOL was invented. I was three when text messaging was invented. Seven when Google was founded. Twelve when the iPod was created. And by the time I got out of high school, everything we use today, like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc., was already on the scene. Now I actually make YouTube videos for a living, which is awesome. And some of them specifically deal with this topic of sexuality, porn relationships, specifically with people my age or younger. So I have a unique front row seat on how this is playing out in my Generation, which by the way, making YouTube videos for a living is the best thing ever because I'm one of the few people that can say when my wife says, Hey Jeff, stop watching YouTube videos of Jimmy Fallon for the past four hours, go outside and say, Hey babe, I'm working here, I'm working here. But porn and technology have entered into this marriage as of late, and I don't think they're divorcing anytime soon. A friend of mine who runs a large anti trafficking organization that actually does a lot of research on how porn and trafficking are implicitly connected said to me jeff jeff we are raising the most sexually exploitive and exploited generation in all of human history how do we think that'll affect the world and society when we unleash them on the world and they're running businesses running for office and leaders of our next generation i think of the steubenville rape case which you might be familiar with happened a couple years ago if you're familiar with it, it involved a few members of a high school football team at a party that raped a 16-year-old girl when she became passed out after drinking too much at one of their parties. 
There was even a video that surfaced during the trial because all these kids posted all of the stuff from that night online that a few hours before the rape, while the girl was already incapacitated, they were grabbing her, saying terrible things about her, and literally picking her up and throwing her around the room in the living room in the middle of the party. And two things became deeply obvious when watching that video. One is they were completely numb already by 16 years old, maybe 17 when it was happening, that that girl was a nether image bearer of God. Literally to them, it was just an object to use and throw around literally in the room. It was they were, She was only for their pleasure and their entertainment. And secondly, when you read some of the teenagers' responses during the trial, many didn't actually think it was rape because it wasn't that bad since she didn't resist or say no, which she couldn't, by the way, because she was incapacitated, or since it wasn't violent in nature. They actually thought she existed for their pleasure and use just because she was laying there. They've been trained their entire life to think that way, and I wouldn't doubt that porn is a huge part of that. Porn is unequivocally destructive to marriages. We all probably know some people where it has damaged a relationship or something of that nature. It's damaging to relationships, to souls, to jobs, to lives. And in about the last three to five years, research has come out, not just on porn, but also on technology as two separate issues, how they are both actually kind of rewiring our brain and changing our very brain chemistry. They aren't just affecting us. They're literally changing us. Let that sink in. I don't think it's a stretch then to say that to some degree we are remaking humans and not in a good way. And the biggest hit I think we are taking with this, not only with porn or technology, but specifically when they interact with each other, is the utter death of intimacy, which we heard in a few talks yesterday. And I mean true life-giving intimacy, vulnerability, or that nakedness. And I don't mean that physically. I mean the nakedness where you see the depth of another person, you see all that they are, and you say, I still want you. I'm not going anywhere. That is love. Being fully known and fully loved at the same time, that is is intimacy and porn by its nature cannot give that. No one knows what it means to be intimate anymore and not just in our sexuality, but platonically speaking as well. As a millennial, when I go out to eat, there's an awkward silence. What do we all do? We pull out our phones. I actually heard a big marketer guy say that in the future, the most recognizable human feature will be the top of people's heads because that's all everyone's going to be able to see. But it's true. We all understand that this is a problem. We don't know what it means to be known anymore. In fact, I think we're terrified of being known, not realizing that joy is hiding right on the other side of that. I think we have a long road ahead of us, and this is deeply a multifaceted issue, deeply multi-complex. There's a lot of things that go into it, but I think two things that might help us continue on this journey, or at least what I mean by that is two things that have to happen if we're going to see any progress. The first is some of us are already doing it and some of us need to start. We need to continue a complete and utter assault on the objectification of women. We do not realize how deep the issue is. Women are not commodities. They are not objects. They're not slaves to the male gaze. See, the problem with porn is it not only turns women into commodities or objects, but it commoditizes sex itself. Sex is no longer something sacred, but simply a consumer Good. We have made orgasm not something that is this deeply beautiful climactic moment in the covenant of marriage, but it's actually now something you can simply buy, usually at the expense of a woman. And sadly, objectification happens in many different spheres of the Christian world, too. Some people I've heard when they're fighting lust or pornography or all these different things, they'll say things like, well, don't do that or don't look at that because that's someone's daughter, that's someone's wife, that's someone's sister. I get what they're trying to say there, but at the root of it, they are actually tethering that woman's value to the relationship of her with a man. It's saying she only means something because of who she's related to, not who she is. There's a big difference. But the truth is a woman isn't valued... 
But the truth is, a woman is not valued because she's someone's daughter. A woman is valued because she's someone. That's a big, big difference. Nothing can bring more dignity than the realization of someone's genuine humanness, the sacredness of skin and bone and air and lungs and life. There's glory in the beauty of a body. There's denseness and beauty and glorification in God creating us with bodies. Let's never forsake that. And I think restoring that can help kill the objectification culture. And sometimes it's incredibly subtle too, by the way. Like I have an 11th month old daughter named Kinsley. And sometimes with dads and daughters, they say weird stuff like, oh, I'm sorry. Or they'll say, uh, sometimes a little bit more subtle, they'll say, oh, she's really cute, but I bet you can't wait to have a boy. It's like, what are you saying? Are you saying that she is like a JV version and I just can't wait till I use her as a stepping stone for the boy? But it's true, right? It's like, is that, that's really what they're actually saying. So we have to be careful, even in our subtle conversations, that we are lining up with our own ethic of what we are preaching. I read online someone who said success in porn or success in fighting porn happens when a guy looks away from porn, not because of shame, but when they have such a high view of woman that it's a woman that it's nearly impossible to get arousal from her exploitation. And lastly, we need to replace the no with a better yes. The only way to create lasting behavioral change is by actually giving a superior pleasure. It's like a a desert, right? Now, if I'm in a desert and I'm dying of thirst and a toilet bowl magically shows up, it might be a barrage, probably is. I would drink it. Would I not? Would you? It would probably taste amazing. I would guzzle that beast, put a straw in it, just tip it over. I'm probably not that strong, but you know what I mean, right? It would taste amazing and I would absolutely love it. It would satisfy me to some degree, might make me sick the next day, right? But if I'm home where I was born and raised in Washington state, we have amazing tap water. I know that's not true of all people. I've been to Louisville once, not good. Anyways, if I'm thirsty, where do I go? I don't go to the toilet. I go to the kitchen. Now, when I'm walking by the bathroom to get to the kitchen, I don't white-knuckle my obedience to not drink the toilet water. I don't say, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't look, don't look, don't look. Do I do that? No. Why? Because I know I have something better. The superior option fades my attraction for the toilet water. Might we be people who not only say, hey, that's going to hurt you, or hey, that's damaging, but there is something better. Come this way. Come find life and beauty and intimacy and peace and mystery and wholeness and all these things at the feet of of Jesus. I truly believe that Jesus is the truly human one, the prototype of all new creation that we can all fall in line with. And if we truly want to know what it means to be human and have a flourishing human existence, might we follow him? Because progress will not be made until we not only say no, but also say yes. Progress won't be made until people understand the fact that porn cannot deliver what we're truly created for, and that's that giving is better than taking, vulnerability is better than hiding, and covenant is better than contract. Thank you. Well, Jefferson sure knows how to pack in a lot of words in nine minutes. He's an incredible communicator. I hope you appreciated all the different perspectives, all the different things he described, this new narcotic of pornography and how it's affecting us and our kids. And I hope that you'll really take to heart the combination here of hearing from Audrey, her very personal story, acknowledging how she's come through this and and what that's been like, but also just getting a little more education on this. Because as you're raising your children, as you're engaging with your friends, let's understand porn is something most people have struggled with, have been exposed to are having to process. And for the most part, it happens in isolation. It happens in places where there's just a lot of shame around it, so it can't be brought up. Let's be the kind of people that are okay bringing it up and and talking about it and acknowledging what evil it is and then also acknowledging what we're going to do to continue to try to safeguard against seeing pornography enter into our lives or into the lives of our children and those we care about most. 
Well, we're looking forward to the next Q 2018 event. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be another great conference. This will be our 12th year, which is hard to believe. And now over 500 talks have taken place at these Q conferences. And we're excited as I look at the, the talks, the topics, the people who are coming together. It's always providential. It's like the things we're going to talk about in April in Nashville, April 11th through 13th, are exactly what we as the church need to be talking about in 2018. And that's the design of this event. It's very much about how can we be on point with what we sense God's doing in the world, what we need to as a church be educated on, what we need to be cautioned against, but also how can we be the people that bring hope and joy to our world, to our neighbors? How can we offer a vision for the future that others are interested in being a part of? And I think when you experience Q, you walk out of those three days going, I'm not alone, number one. Number two, I didn't realize Christians cared about all of these things and actually had something to say to them. So you come out more confident. But third, you come out with relationships with others who are walking this out in their own city and community. And if you're fortunate, you'll meet a few of those people that will become lifelong friends. So we hope you'll join up with us for this Q gathering. We'll have 2,000 people in Nashville. The seats are quite limited at this point. So I urge you, if you've been thinking about coming or joining, get online now at qideas.org slash 2018 and make the commitment to join us. Bring a friend. Come be a part of this with us and meet the others who are thinking the way you're thinking and who want to be stretched in the way that you are. And together, we can be part of the solution. Part of the thing that the world complains about is that we as Christians don't have our own act together. We don't model or give witness or bear witness to what they would imagine Jesus would look like if he were here today. And our prayer and our hope is that when you spend a few days together with other believers from not only the U.S., but all over the world who are trying to faithfully live out their Christian faith, they're, they're following Jesus in a Western culture, in a challenging moment, in wealthy societies, in overly educated societies, but also societies who are dealing with a, a lot of different challenges, corruptions, and problems, that you actually walk out confident, encouraged, and equipped. Thank you for listening to the Q Podcast. Invite other friends. Let's keep this learning going. Let's keep these conversations going. Because if we're not growing, we're dying. And we want this to be part of your growth plan as you head into 2018. So I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll look forward to our next edition. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.